Welcome to Walking in Faith, a weekly podcast dedicated to examining the Bible to help lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God expand their faith and understanding by exploring God's Word. Now let's join Pastor Rob Currington as he shares this week's message. Here we are today. We're still working on Luke. Believe it or not, we're at Luke chapter 7th and we're only in our 44th week of it. So uh, I think there's 24 chapters or so in Luke, so I'm not sure. We're, it's probably going to take us longer than it, lived. it took uh, Luke to live through these, uh, the, the, these things. Questions, doubts, and uncertainties is the title as we're looking at Luke chapter 7, 18 to 23. I don't know about you, but uncertainty, doubts, and questions seem to be the spirit of the age. We all have them, don't we? Sometimes I wonder that with all the threats of violence in our cities, financial collapse continually looming over us, corruption permeating throughout our governments, fierce conflict along every social, cultural, and political dividing line, I wonder sometimes how any of us can get any sleep or any rest. What is tomorrow going to bring? What is today going to bring sometimes? It's more than just where am I going to eat today? The question may be, what's open today? Where can I actually go to eat? But we live in an age today when trust is at an all-time low. Think about it. Who is trustworthy today? And even Christians are not immune to these feelings of fear and frustrations. We ourselves have questions and doubts and uncertainty. How are we to cope with such feelings? They can be overwhelming. One of the things I saw, I can't remember, I think it might be Nevada. I could be wrong, forgive me if I, I just saw it before we came in here that I believe it was Nevada, is opening up their school systems, not because they say, well, it's time for our kids to learn, or it's time, hey, they're losing their education. But one of the main reasons that they're opening up is because child suicide is on the rise, and they believe they need to get them back into socialization. Every day we see another YouTuber or Instagram influencer taking their life in their young age, in the 20s. It's amazing these last nine, ten months as we see that. And of course now with any presidential uh, uh, transfer of power, what is the United States going to be like? We're churches. I, I just read a thing uh, just this week where one pastor is saying that probably in four to six years, we will not have church attending in buildings, but back to homes as they're expecting more and more religious persecution to happen. Uh, the, equal, the, the equality rights law and other types of things. So we have questions, we have doubts, we have uncertainty about today. Now, in chapter 7, Luke has been demonstrating the divinity of Jesus, first through his encounter with the centurion and a grieving widow. In the first instance, Jesus displayed his authority over sickness in healing the slave that was near death, while in the second instance, he displayed his authority over death in giving back the widow her son by raising him from the dead after he had recently died. As we come in today's passage, chapter 7, 18 through 23, some disciples of John the Baptist come to ask Jesus to confirm his identity as the long-awaited Messiah, the anointed one of God. 
And in response, Jesus is going to simply point them to all the works he has done. So with that, Luke chapter 7, 18 through 20, it's here on the monitor for you if you like. But I also encourage you to bring your Bibles. That's a good way to take notes, to underline, highlight things that are of importance. But Luke chapter 7, 18 through 21, we read, The disciples of John reported all these things to him. And John, calling two of the disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? So, Father, these are questions that many people have today. We ourselves may be questioning that this, that this morning. Who is Jesus? What is Jesus to me? What answers does Jesus provide for us today? The scripture provide for us today. Is it relevant for us today? Give us wisdom. Open up our minds. Keep up some distraction from mind wandering. And just to, to focus on this next 30 minutes or so on your word as was Luke has, has written for us. Lord, for, our, for your glory, our good, for it's profitable for us. In your name we pray. Amen. Now, Luke's narrative now circles back to John the Baptist. You may recall Luke introduced the promised son, John the Baptist, to Zechariah and Elizabeth back in Luke chapter 1. They were both uh, of, of advanced years and, and had no children. And the angel came and promised that he, they, would be ha they would have a child even in their uh, older years. And he had spent, Luke's had spent the better part of chapter 1 through 3 detailing John's miraculous birth, his ministry, and his part in baptizing Jesus at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Now, since then, much has happened to John the Baptist. Now, now Luke went off and he's following Jesus and John's been doing his ministry, but much has happened in that meantime. In Mark chapter 6, verse 17, we read that John had been put away in prison. And in, 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 uh, in Mark chapter 6, verse 17, we read that it was Herod, King Herod, who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother's Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So now we see that John, after a promising start, is now in prison for, for preaching to, her, to Herod, saying, you should not marry your brother's wife. He is still alive. You're, it's not lawful for you to take her. So here's John, now in prison. John the Baptist's mission was to set up, to prepare, and to precede the Messiah. He was the fulfillment of the coming of, the, of Elijah that was prophesied earlier in the Old Testament book of Malachi, where it says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And, he, and I will send you Elijah the prophet uh, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the father to their children, and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come. And strike the land. We see that John the Baptist was infused with the Holy Spirit at the birth and in his ministry. His father prophesied about his son in Luke chapter 1 when he says, You shall be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways and to give knowledge of salvation to his people and forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy 
of the Lord. We read that, that uh, the child grew and became strong in the spirit and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel and that he grew in wisdom and in stature. And after such a promising, powerful beginning of preaching and baptizing, John finds himself in prison with many of his followers having left him to follow after Jesus. And now with the threat of death over his head and isolated from the action, he only has a few disciples that have kept him informed on the ministry and progress of Jesus, the one he had proclaimed, the Messiah. Though they are not named in this narrative, Luke informs us that uh, the readers, that John's disciples have been busy serving as messengers. In our passage today, we read that John's disciples are shadowing Jesus, following him around, watching and listening to his ministry. They're reporting back to John what they've seen, what they've heard. They are sent back by John to Jesus to ask some follow-up questions and then sent back to Jesus or sent back by Jesus to John. And this flurry of activity is centered on a question by John in which he displays some doubts and some uncertainties. From Luke's narrative, it seems that John's disciples were eyewitnesses of Jesus' healing of the centurion servant. He says, from these things. He's seen the servant from near death and the rising of the sun uh, from the very clutches of death. You can imagine the excitement, their excitement, their awe. And the voices as they report these things to John and replay the miracle working power of Jesus. However, instead of rejoicing and marveling with his disciples, John sits behind his prison bars with questions, with doubts and uncertainty about Jesus. His, simple, his question is simple. Are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? Remember, this is the reason John was, was sent. From his birth, he's been told, you are to prepare the way. The Messiah is coming after your work. And so here he sits in prison and says, but are you the one? Did I identify you correctly? Though John is baptized and testified about Jesus being Messiah, his time behind bars has left him with some conflicting thoughts and emotions. It seems as he has never witnessed any of Jesus' miracles and teachings himself. And after hearing about all the reports, he wants to know if Jesus is truly that Messiah. He, now, John the Baptist has already given testimony to the identity of Jesus as a Messiah four different times before this. We saw the first one in Luke 1, uh, when the, in, in, in the womb, when he leaped at the sound of Mary's voice. You might recall that from, from last year when, when uh, John the Baptist, or Elizabeth, who's John the Baptist's mother, uh, was, uh, she had him in the, he was about three months old. And Mary, after the mother of Jesus, after being told by Gabriel that she would have a son, she comes and visits Elizabeth. And it says, Behold, when the sound of your greeting, Elizabeth says, when the sound of your greeting, Mary, came to me, the baby, speaking of John the Baptist, in my womb leaped for joy. In other words, John's spirit, even as a young baby, was able to identify the spirit of Jesus inside Mary. At John's Baptist in John 1, we see that John says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 
And then in the next day after his baptism in John chapter 1, verse 35, again, he, he's standing with two of his disciples and he looked down and Jesus walks by and he says, behold, the Lamb of God. And then later in John chapter 3, verse 30, sometime later before his imprisonment, people come to, G, come to John and say, listen, Jesus is baptizing. He, he's becoming more popular than you. You're losing disciples and, and an audience because they're flocking to Jesus and John says, he must increase and I must decrease. Yet here is John after some time in prison. He was in prison maybe a year, uh, no more than two. He's wondering if Jesus is the Christ. In other words, is what I believed about you correct? Was my testimony correct? Now this might be confusing to us as well. Doubt, listen to this, doubt does not look good on our heroes, right? You know, Hollywood tells us, our heroes are confident. You know, they're square jaw. They're, they're, they stand tall in the midst of the whirling wind. When something blows up behind them, they don't flinch, right? That, that slow motion scene. We all wanted to be in part of that, right? But here he has some doubts. And all of a sudden we wonder what's going on with John. We expect him to be sure, confident, leading the charge. But before you criticize John, consider some other great doubters that are found in the Bible and Scripture. Abraham and Sarah. Many times they doubted the promise of God of a son. Moses doubted he could be a spokesperson for God. That he could do what God had called him to do. To lead the Israel out of Egypt. Gideon. He doubted God. He put God to the test. By the way, that is not a good thing. Many of us say, we need to do a Gideon. We need to, to put out a fleece and test whether or not God's word is true. That, 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 by the way, that's not a good example of what Gideon's doing there. But he doubted God. I'm the least of my tribe. Can I really do this? You really want me to take on the Midianites with only 300 Israelites? With just pitchers and, and, and a trumpet? How about King David? Many times Psalms are filled with David expressing his doubt, his uncertainty and questioning about God's providence in his life. Then we think of the Apostle Thomas, the great doubter, right? Don't be a doubting Thomas. And by the way, many of the disciples and others throughout Christian history have experienced questions, doubts, and uncertainty. You probably hear, sitting here today, you might be feeling some of that yourself. And it is true. Scripture has not always been kind to doubters. Jesus reprimanded his followers with statements like, Oh, you of little faith. And how long will you doubt? Again, reprimands and encouragement to trust, to, to not question and be certain about what Christ is doing. However, what is most likely driving John to question, to doubt, and uncertain is not his lack of faith, but whether or not Jesus is fulfilling the expectations of the Messiah. See, it's not his faith in God or faith in Christ, but, but, but what he's seeing here and saying, you are not fulfilling what I expect the Messiah to do. Like all Jews of that time period, they had preconceptions and preconceived notions of what the Messiah would do once he finally arrived on the scene. 
And since John is in prison and not able to see for himself, he is asking Jesus, are you truly the one? What is going on here? This is not what I expected in my ministry when you came on the scene. And if you and I take a moment to consider it from John's point of view, it kind of makes sense. Think about it. Since his arrival in the wilderness, John has preached powerfully, seeing many people come to repentance, even some Pharisees. And he's baptized thousands. His ministry was very popular with thousands flocking to him to hear him teach and baptize. And the pinnacle of his ministry is found when he sees Jesus come down into the water to be baptized. In humility at first, you may recall that John proclaims, I'm not worthy to baptize you. You must baptize me. But after some reassurance by Jesus, he watches as the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus after his baptism. And John then proclaims that Jesus is the Lamb of God, calling his disciples to forsake him and follow Jesus. Go and follow him. He is the Lamb of God. But now here he's in prison. The moment he had been preaching and preparing for his whole life. You know that, that one meme, you had one job? As you sometimes, and you, know, you messed it up. Here's John. He had one job. He was created for one purpose and one purpose only. Prepare the way for the Messiah. And he has been preaching, preparing, and, and, and all that he's done is he's finally arrived. The Messiah, the anointed one of the Lord, has come to usher in the kingdom of God. Remember, that's what they're looking forward to, the Jews of that day. Yet an unexpected turn of events happened. As John now finds himself in prison for doing what God has called him to do. Jesus is encountering unbelief and hostility from the religious leaders. He's not being embraced and held up. He's not being exalted as the Messiah. The Roman oppressors are still in control. Judgment has not been passed among the nations. John is in prison, knowing that the day of his death may be near. You see, doubt is a problem countered by believers. You and I are going to have doubts, questions, and uncertainty. Even after the resurrection and right before giving the Great Commission, we read in Matthew 28, 16, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mount which Jesus had directed them. Now remember, this is Jesus raised from the dead. They, they come to recognize this is Jesus. And he says, now go to Galilee. I'm going to meet you there. But Matthew writes this, And when they saw him, they worshipped him, as they should. But he also says, but some doubted. Some of you may be worshipping here this morning. Some of you might be here and you're just doubting, why in the world am I here? Why are we doing this? Why are we going through this? You may ask, what causes some doubts? Well, there's many things. One is difficult circumstances in our life. A financial issue, personal issues, social issues, struggles, suffering, pain. We begin to doubt, what is God doing here? There's worldly influences 
that cause us to doubt, have uncertainty. Maybe the philosophers of this age who are good with words and they, and they tongue tie us and, we, and they tell, take the Bible and they redefine its terms and its words and, we, and, we're, and we're at a loss to how to answer them. Maybe it's incomplete revelation because God has not given us all things that you and I want to know, but he's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So yet we want to know, wait, it doesn't tell me who I'm going to marry. It doesn't tell me uh, if I should buy a house. It doesn't tell me what to do for a living. It it doesn't tell me who to vote for. what, What should I do here? Or maybe it's just unfulfilled expectations. And I think that's what's going on here with John. You see, you've heard me say this before. You, all of us have desires, right? There are things that we want to happen in our life. You know, it could be retirement, it could be marriage, it could be have a house, it could be have this certain type of job, it, it, it could be all these types of things. So we have these desires, right? And then we look for people to fulfill them. And so we put expectations on people. I expect this people to fulfill my desire for X, Y, Z. And that's why we have quarrels. That's why we have problems. That's why there's divorce. Why? Because people fail to meet our expectations and our desires aren't met. That's James. Why do we have quarrels? And so John is saying, wait a second, I had some preconceived notions. I had some expectations. I have some desires and you are not meeting them. Are you truly the one? The thing that you and I have to understand is you and I true will struggle with these types of doubts, mainly because one of these four things or maybe something I'm not mentioning here, but we will have those. And in our sanctification, that's that process in which we become freer from, from the sin in our lives and more like Christ. We will hit some snags. We will hit some barriers, some doubts. This is why Luke is actually writing the gospel, right? He is writing an account to give confidence to his Gentile readers who never saw Jesus, never experienced the things of the ministry of Christ. And he's writing to give them some confidence of the things they have heard. Even today, you may have some questions, doubts, and uncertainty. It's not about the divinity of Christ. I'm probably betting most of you, and those of you who might be watching me online or maybe later, you don't question the divinity of Jesus. You don't doubt that. But you may have some uncertainty, doubts, and questions about the sovereignty of God. Is God truly in control? If God was truly in control, wouldn't have my man won the presidency? If God was truly in control, wouldn't life be better? Or maybe about the wisdom of God. Is this really the best that God has to offer for me? Is this really my best life? Hey God, you didn't ask my opinion. You're so wise, why am my life like this? Or maybe doubts, questions, uncertainty about the goodness of God. Does he really love me? Does he really care for me? Why doesn't he provide all that I desire? What does he feel and meet all my expectations? Or maybe about the grace of God. This is where I doubt, struggle, and question. That's about the grace of God. Does God really truly love me? Does he truly forgive me? Even in my worst moments. And I struggle with that. I doubt that at times. Satan works overtime to cause that into my mind. He's like a, well, I can't remember what that, like a little boring thing that just bores into my brain and pours it in. and calls me to question, to doubt, to be uncertain about God. 
So the question I have is how do you and I gain confidence? How do we have our questions answered and quelled? Our doubts dispelled? How do we have our uncertainty calmed in this day of age? I think that's a great question. And I believe we can learn from Jesus' answers to John. Look at John chapter 7, or Luke chapter 7, excuse me, verse 21. And in that hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. Now this, they ask him, are you the one? Then he goes and does all this in verse 21. Look at verse 22. And then Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the leopards are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. Now listen to this. The answer to whether or not Jesus is the anointed one, the Messiah, the anointed one of God, is found in his miraculous works. Is God sovereign? Is he wise? Is he good? Is he graceful? Is he loving? Is he compassionate? It's all found in the works of Christ. Jesus points John's disciples to what they had just witnessed. Not only does he point to his work, but he tells them that his works are aligned with the promises and signs that were prophesied in Isaiah. I'm not going to give you all the references. But the blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers were cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, good news is preached to the poor. He says, here's six things, tell them. Tell them what you've witnessed, what you've seen, what you've heard. These are all found in the promises that were prophesied about the Messiah in the book of Isaiah. Now you might recall from Jesus' first message in Luke chapter 4, that Jesus claimed that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty of those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Today, he says, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus is doing what the Spirit of the Lord has anointed him to do. Jesus' deeds, his acts, his works, give sufficient proof of who he was and that the prophesied time of salvation had come the year of the Lord's favor found in Isaiah 61 1 though John might also be wondering about the promise about setting the prisoners free and the oppress see those other things are coming but he's saying wait a second <laughs> what about the rest of that passage I have an expectation here when are the gates going to open up and I be released and vindicated before Herod. And Herod pulled from the throne and the Messiah taking the rightful place of David. Though Jesus was filling some of the promises expected of the Messiah, John was confused about the time and manner of Jesus' ministry, as were most of the disciples. Robert Stein in the New American Commentary on Luke, he writes this, it's here on the monitor just so you can read along with me. That while Jesus' contemporaries shared an expectation of the coming of, the, of, a, of a messianic figure, they were confused and uncertain about what this one would be like. And Jesus did not fit the common expectations well. 
That's why some doubted. That's why John is having some uncertainty. He's not meeting expectations. And maybe you're here, you're struggling with God. You're questioning and doubting and uncertain because God is not meeting your expectations of what a God does and is. Uh, we've been going through our adult core class looking at the attributes of God, and I think it's so important. There's some more going on, so I encourage you to come at 945, room 28. We're going to follow up that series with the problem of evil. And the problem of evil has been one that has just stymied philosophers and, and many for, for, for centuries, for millennia. Because if God is good, evil exists, but yet if that's true, then, then God must not exist because evil exists and God must not be good. In other words, you and I struggle when God does not move in our lives as expected. Or I should say, as we desire. Right? Why is not God giving? And to be honest, we have pulpits filled with pastors and preachers and, and audience, you know, stadiums filled with people with itchy ears in which pastors and preachers and those who profess to be Christians are sharing with you the things that you desire, the things that you want and expect. Your every day can be like Friday. Live your best life now. But that's not God's call for you and I. What they didn't expect or understand that there would be a delay in the fulfillment of some of the prophecies of the Messiah, mainly with judgment and the return of Christ to come once again to rule in righteousness and peace. The ESV study Bible notes that the day of salvation foretold by Israel or by Isaiah, excuse me, have begun even though they will not be consummated until Christ returns to establish the internal kingdom. That's what they did not understand, is that Christ was going to come in two advents. That's what you and I are looking for. We, we celebrate the first advent, right, at Christmas, the, and then, but then we look forward each time we do the Lord's Supper for Christ to return, and all things will be made whole. Take your Bibles, if you would, turn to 2 Peter. Again, I encourage you, if, uh, bring your Bibles. If you don't have one, please let me know. I'd love to give you a good copy of God's Word. Turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. Even the churches of the first century struggled with this concept of the delay or Jesus not fulfilling everything they expected. So 2 Peter chapter 3, and in verse 1 of 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter writes this. Are we there? Close to it? This, now, this is now the second letter that I'm writing, Peter is saying to you. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere way, mind by, uh, by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commands of the Lord Savior through the apostles, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, with their questions, their uncertainties, their doubts, trying to, to put that in the minds of others, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of their coming, of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning. And if you and I were to go to the book of First Thessalonians, we see that was happening in the first century. They thought they had missed the coming of Christ. 
And they were concerned and they were worried. So we see that this is something that is going to come down even to you and I. Of course, you might ask, well, why are questions, doubts, and uncertainty a problem anyway? I mean, that's just the human condition. We're, 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 we're hardwired that way. We live in a world where these things are celebrated. Questions, doubts, and uncertainty. Since the 60s, we have been challenged to question everything. And look at where that mantra has given us today. We see it in our streets. We've questioned and doubt uncertainty. Truth is elusive. It's relative. It's changing. There is no group that is found to be trustworthy any longer. Conspiracy theories abound. People are driven to the extremes. The psalmist warns in Psalm 49.20 that man in his pomp is yet without understanding is like the beast that perishes. Who cares if you're all dressed up and all prideful and you have all these things. You're just like a beast who perishes because you have no understanding. We are all emperors without clothes, thinking that we understand but don't. Now it is natural to have questions, doubts, and uncertainties. But you and I are not called to live in that state. We are called to come out of that. We are saved, redeemed from that position. We are called to be men and women of faith, to live out the call of 1 Corinthians, to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Have you ever had one of those days, those weeks, those months, those years, where you feel like, I have not accomplished anything, I am not making any type of difference in my life, I am just moving things around? Well, that's true of the world standard, but not of God's standards. For our labor is not in vain. We don't have to question or doubt the uncertainty of God's work in our lives. Like David, we serve God in, in, in our generations. We serve the purposes of God in our generation. Let me warn you and challenge you, encourage you to understand this, that doubts and uncertainties are tools of Satan that seeks to trouble us and rob us of our joy. That, remember, that's what David said, restore to me the joy of my salvation. And many times when, when we sin and we're doubting the grace of God, it robs us of joy. It brings back that shame and guilt. We're like dead men dancing with chains on, carrying our sin and our guilt. And it robs us of any joy. It distracts us and keeps us off mission. He keeps our minds centered on the things that we do not know, the things that we struggle with instead of what he's called us to do in the Great Commission. And the great commandment. And it also, and this is my problem, it paralyzes us into inaction. The questions, the doubts, the uncertainty of the grace of God and his forgiveness causes me just to freeze in place. Afraid to do anything. Not knowing if I should step right or step left or straight ahead. Does God want me to do this? Does God want me to do that? This is what doubts and uncertainty and questions will cause in your life. Satan used doubts and uncertainty to attack Eve by questioning the truthfulness of God, the goodness of God towards his creation, and the love of God towards his creation. And we know her doubts and uncertainty and questionings led her to an action that has propelled the world into the curse of sin and death. Or I should say Adam's sin. For it's in Adam's sin that you and I are represented 
In our passage, we see that even some of the greatest men or even the greatest man to live, and we'll see this next week or the, I mean, two weeks, we see that even one of the greatest men ever to live is not immune to doubts. So it should come to no surprise to us when you and I struggle as well. As I said earlier, we live in a difficult trying times. It's only going to get more so, especially, I believe, for Christians. I don't want to be a naysayer, but you know, the Bible tells us that the days are becoming more evil. And like Noah, in which the world is partying and celebrating, but the rains are coming. So how do you and I fight Satan? How do we fight his schemes to cause us to question God, to doubt his goodness, or to be uncertain about the love of God? How do we get past that when, when that darkness seems to be so difficult and so deep? How do we cut through this fog? Well, the answer is the same as it was for John, John the Baptist. Number one, you and I need to look to, work, to the work of Christ. We need to look to the works of Christ in this case, I want to tell you that we look to both his active and passive obedience. You and I cannot see his miracles doing today other than in how he works in each and of our lives. But I think the work that you and I need to look to is the active and passive obedience of Christ. Now you say, well, what's the active obedience? It's here on the monitor. The active obedience of Jesus is where he actively fulfills all the law of God. He does what you and I could not do. He obeyed all of God's commandments. He was able to conform to the law of God in his actions, in his attitudes, and in his nature. And in that attitude or that act of obedience is now imputed to you and I when we believe. That is, God reckons the believer the righteousness of Christ when the believer trusts in Christ's work. In other words, you and I do never need, never need to question or doubt or be uncertain about God's love for us or whether or not God is pleased with us if we are in Christ. Why? Because you never have to work enough to earn his love. The Bible says there is no condemnation to those that are in Christ. He says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Why? Because you and I, when we stand before for God, and he says, why should I let you in my heaven? It is never going to be based on your righteousness or your works. It is going to be based on what Jesus did for you. Remember, when God, when God sees you, he does not see your rebellion, your lustful thoughts, your, your, your ungodly desires. He sees the righteousness of Christ. So you and I need to look for that. And that's my only hope when I re realize that does God forgive me? Is God's grace big enough? Is it deep enough? Is the love of God, does it surround me enough? I have to remember that Christ did all the things that God required. And then his passive obedience. Christ, after fulfilling the law, I believe that's the next one. Christ, after fulfilling the law perfectly, was led to the cross to be crucified in order to atone for our sins. This is what we call the passive. In other words, Christ did nothing but was led like a lamb to the slaughter, fulfilling Isaiah 53, he allowed himself to be brutally tortured, struck, and killed for us. And how does that help me? Because I know that I do not have to pay for my sin myself. While I was a sinner, Christ died for me. 
It's so important. If you're here this morning, you question, you doubt, you're uncertain about God's love for you, let him know that he loved you first. And he demonstrated that by sending his son. So not only do we look to the work of Christ, but also we do what God or Jesus told John. Look to the scripture. Jesus pointed John to the promises found in Scripture. In the same way, you and I need to go to the promises of Scripture when we struggle with our questions and our doubts and uncertainty. The answer is God's faithfulness, His goodness, His providence is found in His Word to you and I. So we need to look to Scripture. That's why we call you. And I I pray that you're reading Scripture. We're reading through the New Testament uh, for the first six months of this year. Praying you're doing it. If you're not on Slack, grab onto it. I give you an audio version of it so you can just listen to it on your car or whatnot. I encourage you to do that. It's a neat way of doing it. Another thing I encourage you, if you have a family and you have your wife or your children, is during dinner, just plug that in and listen to that while you're eating dinner. It takes five to six minutes uh, to listen to it and then talk about it. That's a great way to listen and to read scripture together. Number three, not only should we look to the work of Christ, look to scripture, but number three, look to prayer. In James chapter 1, 5, the half-brother of Jesus tells us that any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all. It will be given, but let him ask in faith with not doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of seed that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person might not, must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. So doubts and questioning and, and uncertainty is, is, a, is something that you and I will struggle with, but it should not be a state that we stay in. For he says he's a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. So we must pray, Lord, help me with my unbelief, as, as Thomas said. We must, we must come and say, Lord, give me a greater measure of faith. Give me a greater measure of grace. Give me a greater measure of strength to know and to understand you. I'd like to close with some words here. The promise, there's a promise of reward for those who defeat doubt. Go back, if you would, to Luke chapter 7, verse 23. In that passage, we see that Jesus ends his answers to John's questions by reciting this promise. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Do not be offended by the Messiah. You may be here this morning, your questions, your uncertain, your doubts is found because you're questioning, you're doubting, and you're uncertain about the expectations for Jesus, or the God is not doing what you expect. And you are offended by God. You may not say that, but in your attitude it shows. Maybe it shows in, in not attending church and worship. Maybe it's shown by not reading scripture. Maybe it's shown by not giving, by not serving, by not loving. But it shows itself. For he sees the intent and motives of your hearts. But he says, blessed is the one who's not offended by me. The ESV study Bible says this. This beatitude is a mild rebuke. John and his disciples must be open to God's unfolding plan again you and I do not see all things clearly but we must trust scripture even though Jesus ministry did not mat exactly match their messianic expectations and it's the same with your life your life may not have turned out as you have planned it as your parents have planned it as you desire but you must trust that it's God's plan for your life 
for all moments of our life is planned before our creation. Our days are written, even the sum of them, he says. Let us remember the words of Jude, another half-brother of Jesus, who wrote, as you see here on the screen, but you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostle of our Lord Jesus Christ, of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you in the last days or last times there will be scoffers, those with questions, doubts, and uncertainty and trying to put those onto the church following their ungodly passions. It is those who cause division, worldly people, devoid of the spirit, But look at this, if you have it in your Bible, you may want to underline these words or write them on your notes. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in what? In the most holy faith and praying the Holy Spirit. Keep yourself in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, which leads to eternal life and have mercy on those down. How do we handle doubt? Trust in God. Realize the world doesn't have the answers. Immerse yourself in God's word. Patiently wait on God. And lastly, help those that are struggling in their faith. For you may be strong in your faith, but there may be those near you that are having questions, experiencing doubts, and having uncertainty about God. Let it not be so on our watch. Let us be men and women of faith, courageous, walking firmly in the faith that God has given us. There we had bow near I close. I'm going to ask the worship team to go ahead and come on up, as well as Landon, if you go ahead and come on up and be ready for our pastor's prayer. I just want you to just take a moment to pause, to consider what God has given us through the life of John the Baptist. Would you take a moment and pray and give those doubts, those uncertainties, those questions to God and say, I don't have the answers, but this is what I'm struggling with. Like David, give them up to the Lord and then expect God to answer. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but look to the works of Christ, to scripture and prayer and God will quell those questions. He'll dispel those doubts and he will calm those uncertainties for he is a God who loves his children and enables us to walk in a way that's pleasing to him. Manning, would you come and give us our pastor's prayer? We hope you have enjoyed this week's message. We encourage you to share it with others. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at info at orangevilla.org. Be sure and join us for next week's message by subscribing to this podcast. To learn more about our ministry, submit prayer requests, or to find ways you can help hear the gospel, visit us online at orangevilla.org. Till next time, we hope the grace and peace of God's love be ever present in your life.